Google told me a generation is all of the people born and living at about the same time, regarded collectively. It can also be described as the average period generally considered to be about 30 years during which children are born and grow up, become adults, and begin to have children of their own. For the next 200 years, I would like to leave my legacy, but you see, I am nobody. I am just a servant in this world looking to create peace and justice, who looks to redefine respect, who has ambition to provide courage in the walk of balance toward humility, where compassion and empathy intertwine to become a great wisdom, for the connection to the land shall generate sacredness and prayer to all the next generations to have generosity and gratitude toward all living creation. The eagle doesn't fly high in the sky for nothing. He uses his keen eye to see his surroundings because being on high alert is what life is all about. This is Cody Beers with the Wyoming Department of Transportation. YDAT is proud to help bring you the Indian Relay podcast and to partner with the Eastern Shoshone and Northern Arapaho tribes. Our goal is to keep people safe on our local highways. Did you know that Wyoming has averaged 1,100 alcohol-involved crashes annually in each of the last 10 years, and that more than 50 people die every year as a result of drunk driving? We can do better. We must. Celebrate life. Drive sober. The Indian Relay Podcast is made possible by the Institute of Tribal Learning at Central Wyoming College. The Institute coordinates American Indian services through continued education on historical and contemporary issues. CWC proudly serves the two nations of the Wind River Reservation, and through the Institute, they seek to provide positive influences to educate students, along with tribal and non-tribal community members on American Indian issues on a local and national scale. To support the Institute and its mission, or to learn more more, email Ivan Posey, iposey at cwc.edu. That's I-P-O-S-E-Y at cwc.edu. Here on the Wind River Indian Reservation, we have stories to tell, history to share, and wisdom to give. On this show, we share the well-roundedness of our people. In that process, we break the mold placed on us and reclaim our identity. Northern Rappo and Eastern Shoshone, we are two nations and one community. This is Indian Relay, a Wind River Indian Reservation podcast. Haba, dos, bisihi, neteena, jaha eena, asiina, na hinana eena. Hello, all my relatives. My name is Jakahe Black, and I belong to the Northern Arapaho tribe. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Indian Relay. Huh. This is Ivan Posey, uh, co-pilot for Jokahe here, and I'm with the I'm member of the Eastern Shoshone Tribe and part Northern Rapo and Northern Cheyenne, and looking forward to this segment here. Today's guest is Dara Perez, and Dara's tribal affiliations are Blackfeet, Eastern Shoshone, and Northern Arapaho. Last year, Dara graduated from Central Wyoming College with an interdisciplinary studies degree in communications and psychology. She is also the founder of Wind River Grow Our Own, which is a nonprofit designed around the pandemic to provide education, materials, and supplies for participants on the Wind River Reservation. Prior to her nonprofit, she worked with the Wind River Visioning Bear as a certified circle keeper. As a circle keeper, she utilized talking circles to address and heal trauma. 
In 2017, she completed the Central Wyoming College Native American Entrepreneurship Program, which led to the completion of her most recent book, A Perfect Eclipse, Out of the Bad, In with the Good. She is also the author of three other books, and those three are in her The Way It Happens trilogy. And those books are titled, It Never Happened, It Always Happens, It's Forever Happening. Hello, Dara. Thank you for joining us. Hello. How are you? Good, good. It's a beautiful day out there today. Yes, it is. Everyone's staying safe, which is good. So to jump right in, when I was first introduced to you, it was through writing and through poetry. And can you walk us through your first experience with poetry or any type of writing that made you decide that you also wanted to be a writer? Well, writing for me started when I was um, younger. You know, when I was going to school, my favorite books were the Choose Your Own Adventure books. And with those, I was able to um, find out and explore. And so with that exploring came the writing. I started writing and I didn't really get into poetry until I started um, getting familiarized with a lot of the rhyming words. So... um, So with rhyming, I was able to write down things. And with that, I started seeing that the rhymings, they, they, you know, made sense, kind of like with music, with, um, you know, everything else that's in our world. And um, when I started writing my things and getting my thoughts out and expressing myself and making myself feel better because I was able to get some of the stuff out that I held down and repressed. And so once I got all that stuff out, then I was able to... um, feel better about myself and to carry on in a positive way. And the books that you have published are all self-published. Can you talk to us about what led you in the direction of self-publishing? So I've always had this big dream of being a New York Times uh, best-selling author. Um, I knew that if I didn't do it, it started with an, an um, I started with a trip. Um, my, my, my previous uh, husband, his father had passed away, and so we went to New York. And while we went to New York, um, the funeral director had brought out a piece of paper, and he read it. He read it, and when he was reading it, it was a poem, and it was a poem that I had wrote, and it's called um, When Tomorrow Starts Without Me. And it's a real popular poem now, but it was stolen. I had wrote that poem when I was incarcerated in Denver. Uh, My journey has not always been a good journey. And so like when I wrote about it and got everything out, you know, it was able to um, help me heal. But uh, so this poem, it was it was read to me down at my um, my ex-husband's father's funeral. And that was I believe in signs. And I believe that was a sign for me to do something with my writing. And so I came back and I had to prove everybody, you know, that was my poem, see, and I pulled it out of a box and had wrote that poem when my, when my actual stepfather had passed away. His name was Bert White Plumman. So he passed away and I wrote that poem for my mother. And so from there, um, you know, I started getting into the publishing, um, looking into self-publishing, see what was the best avenue. Lulu.com was the one that spoke to me um, because of the price wise. I knew I didn't have very much money to put into it. And so once I was able to write it and um, get the formatting done, figure that all out, I uh, hired somebody to proofread it for me. And so she uh, charged me $30 an hour. That was probably like the only real big price that I I saw. Um, So when I self-published, 
I was able to put it into their website. It's so simple. You just go ahead and format it, put it in there. And then once that's done, then it gets sent out to um, Ingram, which is, you know, in charge of the Amazon and the Barnes and Noble. And then from there, um, they approve it. And then once that's done, then, um, you know, you're basically, you're a published author, you know, and so it's simple. Mm. And in that process of self-publishing, you also edited and made the your own cover designs as well correct correct a lot of the cover designs are from my own photography my pictures and so like on my very first book it's the picture that of the teepee we we don't have that one here but the one that's not there it's the picture of the teepee and my grandmother was a part of that journey um i believe you know our ancestors that have gone before us they walk with us um in this life and they protect us and help us when we need them and so she was that inspiration for me Mm. In this process, have you ever considered maybe going a more traditional, in quotes, traditional route of publishing and sending your manuscript to a editing house or a publishing house or something similar? I've thought about it, um, and I just haven't gone that route yet with life. Um, life hasn't stopped. It hasn't slowed down for me. And so eventually, if I meet the right people or, you know, if I if I meet the right publisher, the right um, company to take me on, then I would do that. Mm. So your um, experience with poetry and writing has been very therapeutic and uh, really helpful for you in your own journey. I, I know uh, we talked at one time uh, in recovery about people writing their stories and through addiction, stuff like that. But uh, I think that could be a really good tool for others to use also, from your experience anyway. Yeah, and in one of the prefaces of your book, it says that you write to heal minds, heal hearts, and heals, heal souls damaged by this world's hardships. Uh, so can you sort of talk about what that means for you? So for me, like I said, my journey hasn't always been, you know, on the, the right path. Um, I've had a few bad choices in my life that I've had to, you know, pay for. And I've paid my dues, did what I needed to do. Um, so for me, the healing journey came um, with with writing everything out, you know, getting it all out on paper and being able to sort your thoughts and sort down, you know, all the things that are coming to you. Um, so when you're when you're incarcerated and you have all that time on your hands, I utilized all that to um, to figure my life out. You know, I knew that I wasn't done learning lessons. I wasn't done um, you know experiencing things. And so by able by my able to put them down on paper through my poetry and speaking them into existence, I was able to heal. And when people started reading that and seeing the things that I've been through and knowing that I made it out alive and I'm stronger than ever. It's been the motivation for them to um, to want to read the books and to want to be exactly like me through my strength. Mm. And I think that ties in well with another thing that I read in the preface of your one of your books. It says that the poetry you write is from the core of your heart, directed into the core of others' hearts. Correct. And so when I write, I like to speak um, directly. And that's like a lot of the things that have been effective. Because I know with communications, when you do it effectively, then you get the answers you kind of want. So kind of leading and directing. Mm. And I was watching your TED Talk, uh, which for our listeners, you can find there's TED Talk on YouTube. And while I was listening to it, you mentioned that you're an empath and you're perceptive of these energies. Um, so how does perceiving and receiving these energies impact your writing 
or maybe your writing process? So it has um, actually helped and impacted uh, when, when we've lost family members in my family or even friends or whatnot, and they ask me to write poetry for them. And so I tell them, and even if I don't know the people, I'm like, all right, I can do it, but it's going to take, take a while. So I get in touch, and it's kind of like a prayer. You know, you kind of get in touch, and you kind of ask that, that person to speak through you. And um, so by doing that, that's where I've used my empath in, in a good sense, where I've been able to walk in and see through the eyes of another person, even people who are not here and able to touch people's hearts in that sense. Was there any um, uh, people that inspired you that was writers before that were native writers? So Sean Sherman is actually one of the people who I think is a big motivator for me. And Mm -hmm. I've had a couple opportunities to meet him and it didn't work out. And so you know, I was really let down by that. And so I'm hoping, you know, somewhere along the way I, I can get that opportunity again. Okay. And uh, just to refer back to your most recent book, uh, A Perfect Eclipse, uh, I'm going to read a part of the preface and then follow up with the question. So it says, selected for a Native American entrepreneurship program, I was offered a full scholarship The program lasted throughout the 2017 summer, going through the second week of September. This program was geared towards making business around the August 21st, 2017 totality solar eclipse. I knew this, but I also knew how afraid I was to hear the word totality. My mind raced, my thoughts, trying to find a safe way out and a complete peace of mind. Facing my fear was the main reason for me enrolling into college and looking for a future. I knew I would not and could not be trapped by fear. Um, so would you mind elaborating on this, um, what exactly that fear is that you're referring to and how the process of writing this book helped you overcome that and helped you engage with those feelings? So at the time I was, uh, facing the fear of success. That was the fear that I was facing, um, with my writing, you know, that's kept me back a lot with the fear of success. And that's probably another reason why I never went the traditional route. Um, so that fear of success, I was able to face that head on um, with the eclipse. I was uncertain because I, at that time I started researching and I was looking at the pool of the gravitational pool to our volcano that's here. And so like I had made this comment or statement on Facebook at one point and the radio station had called me back. And so now there's like Wyoming women predicts um, the eclipse or or the volcanic eruption. And so with that, um, you know, people were saying that I was crazy. Some people were saying that I needed to do more peyote or, you know, all these crazy (laughs) things were coming out of it. And so with that, um, you know, I was able to face that fear. I actually stayed here um, during the eclipse and, and watched it, but I just mm. was so scared. Um, at that time, I went on a journey. When I wrote the book, I went on the journey um, toward the Midwest, and so I went that way, and I was in uh, Wisconsin, and I got to see a different different monuments, different sites, and with that, you know, I was able to, you know, kind of find and come to terms with my fear and, and realize that it was that fear of success that I was um, that was dragging me down. And so once I got through that, then all doors became, you know, openable and all possibilities were endless. Mm. Um, so I also do um, a little bit of writing and the goal is eventually to also be published. And I'm not sure how far away I am from that, but I'm, a day that I'm really looking forward to is to be able to hold my own book in my hand and like flip through the pages. So what was that feeling like for you? when you received the copy of your first book and looked at it and it had your name and your writing in it? 
All right, so you're going to take me down memory lane here. <laughs> so I remember um, the first day that it came, you know, because they you have to proof it before you can actually order more copies. And so it came in the mail, and I looked at it, and I was just like, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that, you know, this is my book. These are my pictures. This is everything that came from me, my words. And so, you know, first of all, I just had to say a big thank you, you know, because I always, you know, like to thank the creator and thank for all my blessings that come to me. And so I thank and then tears came tears of joy um it was just those happy happy tears I, I i and and so gradually over time you know the second book that feeling is there but it slowly is not the same as that very first time mm. so but i miss that i miss that feeling <laughs> yeah yeah that sounds you amazing. know and then locally there's not much um writers it seems like or are, are, are some any that are published you know, and I really think that down the road here, um, well, I'll go back to a experience we had in Jackson uh, last year where people asked, well, who, who, um, where could we read a good book about the reservation or about the people? And we was kind of stumped. I mean, there's some books, but they're all written by non-natives. So I think with you and Jockahay down the road here, and maybe even myself at some point, <laughs> write a book and tell our own story. And you're already doing that through your poetry and how that relates, like you said, to friends, people, family who have passed. And so that's that's a very good direction you're taking us. You're breaking ground. Yeah, I I think more people do need to tell those stories. You know, I mean, so I've I've heard so many stories. Like I'm a storyteller, and I go mm -hmm. out and I talk to people, and I've heard so many stories, and I tell people, if other people heard this, you know, they can get the motivation. You know, and they can, you know, get the hope that we all need. A lot of people in our community are losing that hope. And so writing and telling these stories would bring that back. Yes, because, you know, most of our history and stories are oral, you know, from our aunts, our uncles, our grandmas. And somehow it's our responsibility to uh, capture that, or, you know. Yes, for yes. The future. I totally believe that. Yeah. And you've also have said that the whole self-publishing process teaches you business skills. Can you explain to us how that works? So a lot of it is a lot of connecting. You have to do a lot of connecting, um, reaching out to people, stores, wherever you want to get your book put, you know, and so that's a lot of the work and it takes... So you have to actually be like, okay, so this week I'm not going to write and I'm just going to do marketing things or I'm just going to do, um, you know, um, reaching out. You know, mm. things like that. And so you have to learn how to utilize a lot of the communication skills that we have and, you know, like emails and writing and just, you know, getting getting the doorways opened. And then so once you get those doorways open, then you have to you have to keep connecting and communicating with people for people to say, oh, OK, we've sold this many books and we need more or, you know, or we want you to come speak to our community. So all of these things, you have to kind of play your own um your own marketing person, you have to be your own, you know, mail handler, you have to be all these different things. And so wearing many hats is one of those one of those things. And so people who if they have time, and if they want to learn and utilize all of them skills, then self publishing would be the way to go. Mm. And for someone out there who is interested in publishing a book, and maybe they've thought of self publishing, um, maybe they're too afraid to even take the first step towards doing their book, what kind of advice would you give them? I always say, you know, it's good to plan things, but when we actually actually put the groundwork into it and make it happen, then it, it, it'll be more successful. 
So um, I would just say do it. You know, if you're writing, get it out there, you know, find somebody to read it, you know, find another person to read it and see how their response are. And if you take and another thing, always as a writer, you have to take criticism, whether it's good, bad, and you have to kind of shape that and transform that into something that's going to work for yourself. And so that's that's kind of the hard part, you know, that constructive criticism when sometimes some of those words can be mean <laughs> and it hurt. It hurts. But we have to be able to, you know, take it with a punch and be like, OK, I'm going to take that and I'm going to utilize that information that was given to me. Have you ever considered as a native writer who has access to getting their books traditionally published or like? who has access to the traditional publishing or editing houses, because there are a lot of really good established native writers and native poets. Um, But I think historically indigenous writers have not been given the chance to have access towards the more, you know, again, in quotes, traditional publishing. So I've actually talked to a few of my writer friends who, um, for instance, the gears, you know, they, they actually got their, um, big deal and it came from a writing conference and so a lot of those are good to utilize like for here in Wyoming we have the Wyoming Writers Conference and so they have a lot of the literary agents that come there and so that's where a lot of people get those big deals and so I think just facing them fears and getting there and connecting with the literary agent at one of these conferences would be the way and the route to go Mm. but you know again you know with my time I I think that's still on uh, things to do yeah (laughs) To all you literary agents out there, sign us. Yes. Sign, <laughs> sign Dara, us. sign Ivan, sign me. We all want to write books. <laughs> so hit us up so we can get get our books out there. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I think you're going to have a, a, you're already established now, but I think your future is really bright in terms of poetry. And, you know, that's what always um, made a impact on me is poetry from tribal people. You know, um, as as we talked about many times, there are the impacts of uh, addiction and stuff on our, our tribal areas. And one um, poem, and I'm not, I don't want to quote it here, but it's, I'll try to get as close as I can, but it's Sherman Alexi, where he said, you know, if you listen real close to the buzzy neon sign at the War Bonnet Bar, you hear bugles, b- bugles um, sounding in the sound of a sword coming out of its scabbard. So it's, it's, you know, some of those poems are very powerful, you know what I mean? Right, right. And I think uh, yours touch on that feeling. And I think um, I, love, I love poetry and I love the written word. I love the oral stories too, but when you can read it and go back and read it again and go back and read it again, it has a really strong impact on you, you know. So you're, you've done really well, Dara. And I think it's a good way, like with my writing and I look back at it, it's a memory of the things I've done and where I've been. And, you know, some of it, I don't want to go back, like mm-hmm. those addiction things. And so it's a great reminder for me. Yes. Yeah. And this is sort of a throwback to our first episode because Ivan and I both talked about the quotes that we're mentioning in our first episode. But one of my favorite poets is Joy Harjo. And she has a line where she says, I believe poet is synonymous with truth teller. So she feels it is her need as a poet to tell the truth, no matter how ugly it may be. So how have you approached that? Because as a young writer myself, I've struggled with how much do I say? 
is this too gruesome? You know, I, I want to write for myself, but sometimes I'll be like, how are other people going to receive this? How are my family going to receive this? So how do you navigate telling the truth and how you stick to it? So one of the rules that I live by is that, you know, when we live our life with no, no secrets and we live our life with no regrets. And so when I've learned that, I've learned to write things um, that speak kind of gruesome sometimes, you know, to the truth. And a lot of it is real. You know, a lot of it is real. And so I feel like just telling it the way it is has been the power for me to heal. And so, um, you know, like I said, I live with no secrets. Um, I tell it like it is. And, you know, when so people want to throw those stones or cast those stones, they don't have them to throw because it's already been told. Mm. Wow, that's powerful. And you mentioned in all of this process, you've had to wear many hats. But I think outside of this process, you've also have worn many hats. And you mentioned your photography and you also do some videography and I remember watching your grandfather poem with the video that you made for that. So how has your poetry affected your videography and your videography affected your spoken word as well? I think that the videography has really helped to um, portray the messages that are being told. Um, like, so grandfather blessed me with unity. It's a powerful prayer to protect us here on the Winter Reservation. And so being able to connect with them. So like in that video, I was just watching it the other day again. Um, so we have Robert Martinez. He was able to, you know, allow us to use some of his pictures. And so we gave him credit in there. And so we also used some of the, um, some of the old archival pictures that are out there. And so we were able to, you know, get some of those and include them. So we made the message more powerful. Mm. And that's on YouTube. Can people find that on YouTube? It is on YouTube, yes. And so the way to find things would just to be uh, Google my name, Dara Perez. And so, like, you can get my books through there. You can find the YouTube channel. Um, you can find different articles that were written by um, different different people. And another hat that you have taken on recently amidst this pandemic was starting a nonprofit called Grow Our Own which has given people the education and the tools to start their own garden and grow their own food. Uh, so what has that process been like and what is it that you are teaching the participants? So the way that this actually got started was during the beginning of the pandemic, like in February, March, when, you know, when, when for one, the toilet paper, you know, the toilet paper was gone. Mm -hmm. And so we noticed that. And then we started noticing, you know, there wasn't as much fresh produce. And then the meat was disappearing. And I was like freaking out. Yes. And I told Danica, who was, you know, the other co-founder, I told her, we're going to have to learn how to grow our own food. And she said, okay, well, how does that, you know, she got excited about it. And she said, well, how do we do that? And I said, well, this week we're going to utilize Zoom. At that point, we had just got done with the visioning bear and we had did that. We had, we had to resort to Zoom because of the pandemic. And so through that, we were able to make more connections with people. Um, it wasn't the same because when you're actually in a room, you can feel energy, but on Zoom, you're not able to do that. Mm, yeah. And so, but we, we took it to, um, we took it to Zoom and our first project was growing strawberries from the seed. So I told everybody, I said, go get a laundry basket, go get some garden fabric. I said, we're going to grow strawberries. And so people were, you know, and so they joined us on Zoom. We all planted. The next week I said, well, this time we're going to do potatoes from a bucket. We're going to grow potatoes in a container, which, um, so since we're leaving soon, we're going to be going to New Jersey. Um, but before we leave, the potatoes are ready for harvest. And so we're going to do that mm. on our final Zoom before we leave. So. Wow. Mm. Awesome. 
Uh, and what was your experience with growing food before you started this nonprofit? So before this nonprofit, I was actually on the Growing Resilience um, Community Advisory Board. And so I was on that board for a year or so before I stepped down and decided that I was going to um, use my time to finish uh, my degree here at Central Wyoming College. So, um, so when I was in there and learning, we had, um, you know, we had learned about companion planting. We were learning about soil um, testings. We were learning about all the different things that are happening in our community. Um, and the mission, the mission community garden had actually got started during that time. And so this year we were able to give them 10 garden boxes that we had made out of the cedar wood. And um, so hopefully next year they'll be able to start planting. That's something that's kind of coming back because years ago and our parents, our grandparents, uh, generations, they used to have gardens all the time, you know, by means of survival, I guess. Mm -hmm. Right. So when this pandemic happened, I started doing some research and during the World War One, World War Two eras, which, which you're speaking of. Mm -hmm. And so those times, that's when the victory gardens had came about and they were teaching people how to do victory garden. And so when I started researching back into that, I started learning about a different staple foods that they were eating. And so Last year, we got to learn about sago lilies, you know, and those grow wild out here in our mountains. And we were able to go out there and harvest some and put those into some stews. And those are a superfood and they give us the energy. So like when they were going on the war hunts, when they were um, when they were going for um, the war hunts and the gathering parties, then they would eat these sago lilies to give them that energy. Yeah. Yes. And that's a great thing to bring back. Um, you know, also there's the bitter root and some of those. Um, other um, natural remedies for sickness and stuff. And probably at some point it'll branch out into that type of stuff, you know? Yeah, because I think a lot of that information needs to be needs to be brought back, you know? Yes. We're losing it. We're losing it, and we need to just keep documenting and keep, you know, sharing that. So. Exactly. Can you talk to us about the power of gardening? Because, um, you know, I think... People can think that garden, gardening is as basic as planting, uh, reaping, and then eating. But, I mean, there's so much more to that. And obviously, just scientifically, if you think of the energy coming from the sun, energy coming from the earth into the food, and then the energy transferred to the body when it's eaten. So I think there's just a lot of energy surrounding gardening. So can you talk to us about that? So gardening is actually a therapeutic remedy. So when people are out there into the soil, they're, they're being grounded. You know, we always hear about Native Americans, they're clearing themselves off because we want to ground ourselves. And so gardening is kind of the same sense. We're out there, we're, we're in the soil, we're digging, and we're getting connected with Mother Earth, and that connection makes us feel good. And so no matter if it's hot, no matter if we're out there, you know, we're, we're staying hydrated and doing what we need to do. Um, so it makes us feel good knowing that, you know, we had a productive harvest. We were successful and, you know, and learning the things. And if we actually listen, the plants, they do talk to us, you know. And so by listening to them, then we know, you know, well, this is good for this or this helps with this or, you know. And so those plants, they, they can feel our energy and they know, they know what we need. Mm. And it's much different than seeing something that you put work into than going to the grocery store and buying it off. You know, in the produce section, I imagine, you know, you're putting sweat and blood out there and, you know, and harvesting your hard work. Yeah. Someone said, um, one of your participants said, 
gardening is harder than taking care of the kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. I always remember that one. So yeah. So some people think that, you know, you can just throw seeds out there and it'll grow, water it. And that's all you have to do, uh-huh. but there's more to it. You have to continuously weed, you have to mulch, you know, you have to protect your root system. You have to make sure you're not getting root rot. You have to, you know, all these different things. And then you learn about all the different diseases. There's blight, there's, you know, different, there's scurvy of potatoes. There's, you know, you can have hollow heart. You can, you know, all these different things. And so once you learn all the terminology and know what they mean, then it's like, okay, that makes sense, you know? And so it'll, it'll, it'll eventually, you know, everybody will get it. And you mentioned that you're planning on going to New Jersey in a few days. And I'm really happy that we were able to do the interview before you left off. So talk to us about what it is you're planning on doing there. Okay, so in New Jersey, uh, we had applied for the AmeriCorps program under uh, the St. Bernard Project. And so the St. Bernard Project started during Hurricane Trina, Hurricane Katrina. And during that time that they did um, hurricane disaster relief, you know, um, remodeling and rebuilding homes. Um, And so in New Jersey, they're doing the same thing up there during after Hurricane Sandy that hit a couple of years ago. And so, you know, I, I... have this dream I have this vision of learning how to build a tiny home community and so what I want to do is I want to build tiny home community here um, on the Winterville Reservation and I want to utilize you know a lot of the gardening things within that and so with climate change we're going to have to revert to growing food on the indoors and so I'm thinking grow rooms and you know greenhouses and you know all this different stuff for gardeners and so that's the plan is that we want to go down there and we want to learn how to build these homes and bring that skill back here and teach others and so kind of you know knowledge is free I always believe and so you know teach others and then they'll it'll just continue on if it's a good thing wow so add architect and builder to the resume as well, huh? Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. What a great project. You know, you. we all know that there's a shortage of housing on a reservation, and this is just an, another avenue for tribal members to do something, you know, in terms of building their own houses. You know, there's stories of 20 people living in one house, and but sometimes that's not all bad because that's by choice. You know, yes. families want to live together. But then there are uh, people that are have overcrowding and have no houses at all. So that's a good venture you're going to be going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just want to be able to, you know, do something and bring something for the community so that I can feel good about helping out some way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I want to say thank you, too, because it seems like every project you've taken on so far has benefited the community in one way or another. And I think just seeing your story of self-publishing and being willing to put your work out and being being willing to put your truth out is a great story helping people get gardens and teach them to reclaim what it means to grow your own food and reclaim the earth in a sense Um, and then now eventually helping people build houses and get good housing that's amazing so thank you yeah thank you you're very busy you're like jock hey said you're doing the they're writing publishing, your uh, gardening, you can learn how to build houses, and I'm sure that's just a small part of your long list of stuff that you're doing, you know, but uh, you're doing it for others as well. You said your poetry touches people, the gardening does, Uh, what your new adventure is going to do is bring back good stuff to the reservation, so 
really glad that you're doing this stuff for, for others. How cool would it be to build our own publishing company on the res? Yeah, really. We need that. That would be, we need that that. Would be super cool. Or even a journalist program, a young journalist program mm. to have, you know, 18 to 26 year olds tell the stories of what's going on on the reservation. Because mm-hmm. you know? when we look through the eyes of younger people, it opens up a different way for us to see things. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Great. Well, before we end today's episode, you have a poem for us to read? I and, do. Okay. And you can jump right into it. You can preface the poem if you'd like. And you mentioned that this poem is coming out in an anthology in a few months. Yeah. So it was um, last year a lady had reached out to me. Her name is Annie Afnell, and she wanted to do a... She wanted to do an anthology um, for messages for children of the next seven generations, and she wanted to know if I was interested, and I said yes. And so I wrote this poem for her, which I'm going to share. And of course, the title is A Message to the Children of the Next Seven Generations. Google told me a generation is all of the people born and living at about the same time regarded collectively. It can also be described as the average period generally considered to be about 30 years during which children are born and grow up, become adults, and begin to have children of their own. For the next 200 years, I would like to leave my legacy, but you see, I am nobody. I am just a servant in this world looking to create peace and justice, who looks to redefine respect, who has ambition to provide courage in the walk of balance toward humility where compassion and empathy intertwine to become a great wisdom, for the connection to the land shall generate sacredness and prayer to all the next generations to have generosity and gratitude toward all living creation. The eagle doesn't fly high in the sky for nothing. He uses his keen eye to see his surroundings because being on high alert is what life is all about. We should never get too comfortable in our walk for humanity because balance happens when the good and the bad make themselves known. We grow up not wanting to be corrected, thinking I knew it all. In this day at 40 years of age, I live my life wanting to be corrected, but my grandparents are gone. I was fortunate to have learned the power of prayer and how what we speak is carried like a song up to the maker of day and night. My grandparents' connection to the land came through oral tradition and the defining of what culture has came to be. They fought so hard to preserve the old ways, but assimilation somehow took hold of the sacred and pulled like a hook to catch fish that didn't need to be fried. The ancestors' memory lives within us, and what we see now is not what they saw. Education should be viewed as power in getting what it is we want, but education should not take from us who we are, who we see our people becoming. Money should not be the drive. Education should be the stepping stone in the remembrance of what our great-great ancestors had to endure in the lives lost and traditions eradicated. Education should be the feel in knowing we can take this country back by running for all government positions. We should never make fun of others for wanting to know their heritage. We should be teaching each other how to live in harmony through understanding and respect. We should be keeping the sacred sacred, but also explaining why it is sacred. It is sacred because once it becomes unsacred, the power of prayer, the walk of the ancestors, and the mystery of the divine have no use any longer.
We do not want to be ordinary because you see I am nobody. I am just a servant in this world looking to create peace and justice, who looks to redefine respect, who has ambition to provide courage in the walk of balance toward humility, where compassion and empathy intertwine to become a great wisdom. For the connection to the land shall generate sacredness and prayer for all the next generations to have generosity and gratitude toward all living creation. Very nice. Wow. Snaps. Yeah, Snaps very nice. Wow. Very good. Amazing. Thank you for that. Wow. Thank you. You're welcome. We're the first to hear it? Yes. Very good. Wow. We're honored. <laughs> very honored to hear that. Thank you. Wow. Uh, and one more time, can you say the name of the anthology that's coming out for that? So the anthology is Messages of the Next Seven Generations. And, and it should be out about September. Okay. okay. Awesome. So keep your eyes out. And that'll for be that on. anthology. Okay. Very good. Wow. And again, where can people find your books, your work, your videos? So my books are on Amazon. They're also Barnes and Noble. Um, and so like I said, if you just put my name in the Google, the Google box where you're searching, Dara Perez, and all of that will come up. Awesome. And if someone wanted to get involved with Grow Our Own? So people who want to get involved with Grow Our Own, we're looking for more volunteers and more participants. And so a good way to reach out to us is on our Gmail, um, growourown307 at gmail.com. And so another good avenue to reach out to us would be on Facebook. And so Grow Our Own. And so you'll see us on there. Very good. Great. Well, thank you for coming today and sharing that poem with us. That was powerful. Thank you for your experience and your stories and the work you're doing. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you, Dara. Thank you, Ivan. I want to say thank you to all of our listeners that are here with us on Indian Relay. I hope you felt the same way I felt after hearing that poem. Super powerful. Uh, check out Dara's work online. Um, go out, support your indigenous writers, your indigenous artists. Before we end today's show, I want to send a shout out to Porter's for providing the Porter's 10Cast studio and providing all the recording equipment we're able to use. I also want to send a shout out to Noah Pakotis and JG Pakotis, a.k.a. Just James, for this episode's intro and outro music. You can find all of their music through DCM Collective, and all of their music is made in-house. Look them up on Instagram, at DCM Collective. Ha-ho to them. I also want to say... Thank you to Mike Chingman for providing the photo that we use as the backdrop for our Indian Relay logo. So go check out Mike Chingman Photography. Uh, he has a lot of great photos and could probably hook you up with photos if you need. So definitely check him out. Uh, find us on Instagram, Facebook, at Indian Relay. You can also follow us on all podcast platforms. We are on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google, and the Tencast Network. So please subscribe to our shows, leave a review, leave a rate. Uh, when you do those things, we're able to reach more people and share our message with people. So thank you for that. Thank you again for listening to Indian Relay. And with that, I want to say wahey and ha-hoo. Hoo-wee-hoo. Hoo.